You are now listening to Tough Gages Podcast. Hello and welcome to Talk Your Jits Podcast. This podcast is, as the name implies, all about jujitsu. I'm your host, Lamar Smith, and today's guest is a second degree black belt who trains at GFT Arizona, teaches at Abu Nai BJJ MMA, and also teaches at Blue Star Grappling Academy, all located in Phoenix, Arizona. Ladies and gentlemen, Nestor Mendez. Hello. Hello, hello, sir. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It's always a good day when we get to sit down and talk about jiu-jitsu. Absolutely. All right. So if you want to give yourself a more formal introductions, by all means, and let's hear about your jiu-jitsu journey. All righty. Well, um, as you mentioned, my name is uh, Professor Nestor Mendez. Uh, I'm a second-degree black belt uh, under Professor Marcelo Cavallo uh, and Master Julio Cesar Ferreira. Um, here located in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I'm the co-director of Grappling Fight Team Arizona uh, and teach out of a couple of academies here uh, as well as out of my home. Uh, been doing jujitsu now, just celebrated 16 years, going on 17 years uh, in the art. Wow. Pretty long time. A little bit of time, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so please continue. Please continue. Uh, I uh, started jujitsu. Um, kind of was looking to do something different. I was like most, you know, trying to get in better shape. Um, back in 2001, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and uh, spent a few weeks in the hospital um, because of it and uh, was needing to lose weight, you know, tighten things up, get in better shape and uh, just getting bored with the regular, you know, going to the gym, hitting weights, just wasn't really feeling like I was going anywhere with it. Um, started looking at, at getting back into martial arts. I had done a little bit here and there as a kid. Uh, and then at the time, I was working for Bank of America and was transferred with a promotion to Las Vegas, Nevada, um, where uh, we lived for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I started out actually looking around at a few places. And one, one morning, I go to the grocery store across the street from our apartment, our first apartment, and I see a, a Scion pull up. And out steps this guy with big ears. And I notice it's Forrest Griffin, who had the year before just won the original Ultimate Fighter. Mm, okay. And uh, he was going into the Las Vegas Combat Club. Uh, and uh, I believe it was Sergio Pena that was teaching jiu-jitsu out of there. So I, I sat out front watching the classes from the window until Mike Pyle, uh, the UFC fighter, came out and said, you're creeping everybody out. Either come in and try a class or get out of here. <laughs> and so uh, I went in and did a couple classes, but uh, I didn't sign up because we were going to be moving to the north side of town. Once we got out to that side of town, uh, I found a gym that was just about to open up called Excel Defense Studios. Uh, it was owned by my friend James Miranda, who was a North Las Vegas police officer at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were the Militage Fighting System affiliate under Pat Militage uh, for MMA uh, in Las Vegas. And Professor Mika Sipley, uh, who is currently the director of the regional director of Gracie Umaita in Las Vegas, uh, was doing the jiu-jitsu. And that's when I started my MMA and jiu-jitsu journey. Uh, MMA was under Tony Fricklin, and uh, Professor Mika and Professor Walter Cascal Batal were my two primary jiu-jitsu instructors out there. 
Uh, I was there for about seven or eight months. And then I moved back to Albuquerque, which is where I'm originally from. Um, spent a year training MMA and, and Nogi uh, with my childhood friend, Greg Jackson at Jackson's MMA. Uh, and did my stand-up with uh, Mike Winklejohn. Uh, and uh, even started a, a, like a satellite team in the suburb of Albuquerque and Rio Rancho. Um, everybody that I trained with there went on to fight professionally. Um, they all went on to either, you know, fight in uh, professionally locally or even in UFC and strike force at the time. Um, I ended up going back to jujitsu primarily still with a little bit of focus on MMA at, uh, Albuquerque Brazilian jujitsu and MMA. Um, we helped build the MMA team there and we had a few professional fighters, uh, and I earned my blue through brown belt there, uh, under professor William Carpenter, um, and then in 2000, early 2014, I moved to Phoenix and I started training at Black Flag Jiu-Jitsu Club, uh, currently known as Black Flag uh, Submission Company. And I was the lead Jiu-Jitsu instructor there. Uh, and the, towards the end of that year, November of, of 2014, Professor Cavallo uh, awarded me my, my BJJ black belt. Wow. So a uh, bit of a journey, bounced around a little bit, but, you know, life happens. Uh, but it was a, a great opportunity. I got to train under some great instructors. Uh, I got to train with some great fighters, especially over at Jackson's and even out in Vegas. Um, Tony Fricklin was bringing through like Matt Hughes and Robbie Lawler was getting ready for his fight against uh, an old schoolmate of mine, uh, Joey Villasenor, when Pride was in Vegas. Uh, so I left Vegas, went to Jackson's, and Joey was getting ready to fight Robbie, who I had just been training with in Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, they, they fought in Pride uh, about early 07. Okay. So a lot of good opportunities uh, to train with some really great fighters and, and gain a, a great amount of experience. Um, we are now current. I'm now currently a, a co-director of Grappling Fight Team Arizona uh, with my good friend and my jiu-jitsu brother, Professor Sadiq Walt Daniels, who's a third degree black belt under uh, Professor Marcelo Cavallo as well. And, uh, Master Julio Cesar Ferriera also. He owns and runs Blue Star Grappling. Man. Which is our GFT headquarters. Okay, so with you... I mean, I guess, you know, you know, obviously you still train, which is awesome. And you teach at two different... Like, you know, you, you train and teach at three different schools. So how are you... Like, you know, how do you find time to balance all that? Well, uh, I have quite a bit of time on my hands. I, I'm unable to work because I'm legally blind. Okay. Uh, which happened over the last five years. <sighs> and so, uh, you know, I teach privates out of my home, uh, and then I help out at Abu Nai, uh, teaching classes there. And then I try to get out to our headquarters at Blue Star like once a week, usually on Saturdays to teach a little there. Oh, okay. So you're not like... So you're not like, you know, um, I guess would be like the head instructor per se at these schools. No, no, not at all. Okay. Okay. So, so you said you, you know, you found out you're legally blind, like, you know, you said five years ago. So, um, I guess with your training, how, like, did that, was that, was jujitsu one of the things that you used to help cope with, you know, find out this information or, or what? Yeah, it, it, it. 
kind of started back in 2011. I started having some problems with my eyes. Uh, and by 2012, um, I found out that I had severe cataracts forming on both eyes. Mm. And uh, insurance was a little difficult at the time. And I ended up uh, towards the end of 2013 going out to Mexico to get the cataract surgeries. Uh, I knew that there would have to be some continued work on the right eye. Um, so I moved to Phoenix, started working, and then I started having problems with the right eye. It, it wasn't, uh, I couldn't see the color green anymore. Everything green was gray. Oh, wow. And the left eye started getting a little bad too. And when I went to the doctor, both retinas had detached. The right eye had been detached for some time and, and had built up scar tissue. So the left eye successfully the, the retina reattached just fine on the left eye. The right eye, it kept coming unattached, and they had to go in like three times to re reattach the retina. Um, a few months later, that following December of 2016, I got an infection in the right eye that bore right through the cornea, so the fluid leaked right out of my eye. Wow. And they had to do an emergency cornea transplant. Uh, the eye did okay for a little while, then went into shock and completely shut down after that. The left eye, uh, because of the diabetes, got severely scarred right in the center of the eye. Um, so that hindered some of my eyesight. And then it looked like car, uh, cataracts were starting to form on the implant lens that had been replaced in 2013. And it's funny because jujitsu, I was rolling with, you know, the, the spazzy white belt. And I got a heel right to the head and it jolted or dislocated the lens from where it was. And I was able to see a little better. <laughs> the, the the cataract was starting to form on that lens. So when it broke loose, I could see better. They just don't want to go in and, and replace the lens now because I only have the one eye and they don't want to run the risk of the retina detaching again and going back down that road. So as long as I can deal with it the way it is, you know, I see well enough. Luckily, jujitsu is tactile. So I don't have to really once i get my grips everything is is by touch right um, i can see i can see a bit you know but i still roll with my eyes closed because i don't want to get poked i only have the one eye left um but jujitsu for me well going through all that was kind of a therapy for me mm -hmm. you know there, there did come a point where i didn't want to get out of bed you know, I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up and that reminder, one eye, one eye's dark and the other eye's only seeing shapes. You open your eyes, you have that reminder always in front of you. And then it, you start running down that list of things I can't do anymore. I can't ride a Harley anymore. I can't even go for a bike ride. I, I can't, couldn't go for a walk because I was afraid of where I was going to step. I, you know, I wasn't going to be able to do this. I wasn't going to be able to do that. And, and it puts you into a bit of a, a depressive state. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that made me just get up and get out of bed was to go to jujitsu, to get on the mat, to teach, to share, to get in and roll with people because although I was walking timidly on the floor because I was afraid of where I was going to step, I couldn't see directly in front of me. I felt like a little old man walking around bumping into things all the time. But when I got on the mat, I moved fluidly. I moved very well. I, I knew where things were. Once I grabbed a hold of the grips, I knew where the arm was. I knew where the neck was. I knew where the ankles were. I knew where the knees were. And I could move. Yeah. And it, it kept me positive. It kept me, it kept giving me something to, to get up for. Mm -hmm. uh, and kept my mind straight. 
you know, kept reminding me that there's still things I can do. And and I've even been asked, you know, are the doctors okay? My mom will ask this, are the doctors okay with you still doing jujitsu? I don't think that'd be a good idea. And I'm like, as far as the doctors are concerned, I'm so limited on what I can do. If I can do that, they're perfectly fine with it. Yeah, because that was going to be my next question, too, because, you know, rolling with, you know, rolling with spastic white belts or, you know, just, you know, spastic people anyway. Yeah, you do run the risk of getting like poked, you know, eye poked or punched or elbowed or head butted. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, you know, you know, worst case scenarios that could happen. And I'm like, you know, I was about, literally about to ask, like, are you is your doctors OK with that? Is it like <laughs> or, or is there like, you know, you just tell them like, no, nah, I just sit at home and do nothing. No, it's funny. The the cornea specialist, his assistant, her uh, her son trained at Tenth Planet here in Phoenix, and uh, John Botello, uh, the head instructor at the Tenth Planet out here, was a friend of mine. So I I knew of them. I knew the coach, and uh, she knew exactly what it was. So you know when we when I told her, they were like, "Yeah, well, it's it's wrestling," and uh, you know, like I said, the doctors were like, "Look, we prefer that you wear." safety glasses but that didn't last real long because they don't stay on your head very well no uh when you're grappling even with headgear they end up twisted all over your face right um really what it caused me to do was really focus as if i was dealing with strikes on the ground so for example if i'm on my back i always want to be aware of where the hands are in case somebody starts swinging down on me well I'm still going to be aware of where the hands are and always trying to have that control because I don't want those fingers drifting into my face. Right. Um, so in that aspect, I kind of went back to basics, went back to the self-defense and just kind of got better and sharper on that so that I could be more aware of where the hands were and how to keep them away from my head. Uh, and now, like, for example, at Abu and I, we, we'll do a little combat jujitsu where we're slapping. And... I can deal with it for the most part. I mean, some still slip through, especially on the right side, but nobody's going really hard. Uh, and I help everybody else get ready. I still help MMA fighters get ready for some of their fights uh, because the knowledge is still there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, I might not I might not be able to spar very hard or you know, stand up and strike like I used to, but what I learned, the things that I gathered, the information that I put together, it's all still there. So I'm, I definitely am open to sharing it and giving it to them and, and providing that. So... Again, it, it keeps my mind strong. It keeps me motivated. It keeps me with a drive. Uh, and at the same time, it allows me the opportunity to share it. And, and that's what I enjoy is sharing, you know, the knowledge base that I've gained and my experiences within the art uh, and in the sport of MMA because they both were hand in hand so much. Yeah, definitely. And like um, at our school, my, my instructor, I talk about this guy a lot because he's pretty awesome, but... Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that, you know, um, we kind of like adapted just rolling with our eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, like I would roll with so many people, you know, white belts or whatever. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't even be paying attention to them. I, I won't be looking their direction. I'll be like looking at, the, you know, looking at the remain like the, the class that's going on or I have my eyes closed or I'm just like off somewhere else. And you're like, how are you doing this? And you're not looking at me you're like, well. Well, I don't need my eyes to to do jujitsu. Yeah. Like once I yeah, once I get that, you know, that contact, then I know where everything is. And then like not long after that, my instructor kind of broke it down and we actually did it in the, like a class. Like we you know, they you know, someone started on their backs and and someone in their guard and it was like, "Okay, you know, go." So they're you know, they're you know, reacting to react, you know. And mm-hmm. he was like, "Okay, stop." Now both of you guys close your eyes. 
and then go. And it was a big significant difference because obviously you can't see what you're doing, but you kind of have to feel what your opponent is doing before you can actually be able to react. So a lot of a lot of their movements got a lot better in an instant because they're not relying on their eyesight. Yeah, well, even for me, when my eyes first started messing up and the cataracts started to thicken out, I had just gotten my purple belt. And part of it was, you know, I've, I've been in the art for a while. It's where you would be at purple belt. But I noticed when my eyesight started to get really bad, I started to notice their balance more. Like if I was going for a half butterfly sweep, I could feel their weight shift mm-hmm. right where I needed it so I could really drive in on it. Yep. And then later on, when the eyes really were starting to go, I was already at black belt, but I, I took a deep dive into the Hicks and Gracie invisible jujitsu stuff, you know, connecting your hips, connecting your knees, getting those connections. And I started learning how to use those connections to feel. So, for example, if somebody's turtled, my arm's coming on across their waist. I'm kind of in on the inside thigh, but I'm not really gripping. All I'm doing is feeling because they're going to flex that part of their hip to make any movement. Yeah. Yeah. So as soon as I feel that flex, I know something's coming. I'm always a step ahead that way. Yeah. And yeah, that's, and that's how we, that's how we learn it too. Like you, like if you're able to, for one, keep yourself calm, keep yourself relaxed, and you're not focusing on what you see, you can feel your opponent's muscles tense up before they react, mm-hmm. or before they move. Or yeah, like you said, you can feel the weight shift. Like, oh, there, that's the that's the little 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 nudge I needed, and now you can finish your sweep, go for your kill, and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Pretty pretty cool. It is. It is. I even use things like when I'm sitting in somebody's guard, I bring my knees right up alongside their hips, caging their hips essentially. Mm-hmm. So if they need to to move their hips out, they're gonna have to lift their hip first. Yeah. So again, I know they have to get themselves out of a little hole where I've caged their hips. That little bit of movement lets me know they're about to go. Yep. And and, and so I've got that. That. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'll say I got, I've got that precursor that lets me know, and now I'm already setting mine up. So it, it's kind of like back when, when I was a white belt, I got the opportunity to do a, a seminar with uh, Red Belt, Grandmaster Alvaro Bajeto. He and his brother were two of Helio Gracie's first instructors at the original Gracie Academy. And he told me, he said, the essence of jiu-jitsu is yielding to succeed. And it's always stuck with me. But years later, my professor, Marcelo Cavallo, he tells me, he goes, look, something very similar. He told me, he said, sometimes you're going to end up going where they put you. You just got to make sure that you go there on your terms, make mm-hmm. everything happen on your terms. And that's what it allows me to do, because there are times, especially with no gi, where the connection isn't as good as it is with the gi. Yeah, they might get a step ahead of me, but I can catch it up and get back ahead again because I'm making things happen on my terms. Yeah. And I've taken those concepts to heart and really applied them. Um, and it really did help. It, it allowed me, like, even when running the collar, when I'm coming into side control and I'm trying to keep control of that collar on the key, I call it running the track. Mm-hmm. Rather than just throw my arm up underneath them, I'll just slide my hand up the lapel because it's mm-hmm. going to go right where I want it. I just got to follow the tracks. Yeah. You know, so I feel like, like, having the problems with my eyes, even though I can see a little bit better than I had starting out, 
it's really helped me to hone a lot of those skills. And then as an instructor, I have a, a couple friends that they started as white belts and they were already fully blind. And they train at other gyms, but they'll come over to my house because I got some mat space here and, and, and we've trained a little bit. And I find, I think to myself when I'm teaching uh, a class, I'll think, if I had somebody in this class who just walked in off the street to do a jiu-jitsu class and they're blind, how would I break this down? Because what you get from a lot of instructors, especially especially the Brazilians, okay, my friend, we're going to put our hand here and then we go there and then we do this. Well, if I can't see what you're doing, I'm lost. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so sometimes I feel like I go a little too much into detail, but I do have people tell me, no, nah, that detail was perfect because even the people that can see will say, you know, that detail is what really made it work for me. But then I'm always thinking, I'm really trying to explain to the person who can't see and doesn't have the verbiage to know what I'm talking about. Right. How do I break this down easier for somebody who can't see what I'm doing and has no idea what we're doing? And in that aspect, it's made me a better instructor, too. So there's, you know, it, they always say there's a silver lining. So, yeah, I feel like that's been, you know, the silver lining that I've been able to experience from the difficulties with the eyesight. And and that's so crazy because. I'm a I'm an assistant instructor at our school and you know our instructor teaches that way he teaches like in detail and I would you know I would find myself when the you know the times I teach class and I would just you know I can't we like to say for example if we're going for an X choke from guard and mm -hmm. I would break it down into so much detail and it's like okay everyone understands it but at the same time I'm like damn am I talking too much Am I yeah. giving too yeah. much information? Because I'm not just saying, like, yeah, put your hand here, and then, you know, this hand comes over this way, and then you do that, and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, I'm like, okay, you're, you know, you're, I, you know, say inside, outside, depending on your, you know, where the person's body is. But, you know, you know, the inside, uh, outside hand does this, and then the out, you know, the inside hand comes around, you grab the lapel, you kind of want your thumb to kind of be like almost wrapped around their neck a little bit. That's how you know, you know, a good, uh, depth to finish his choke then you do this and you, then you hip out this way you make sure this and this and that and I'm just breaking it down but I'm like man I feel like I'm rambling mm -hmm. but you know yeah, that you know that makes me feel better knowing that I know I'm doing it correctly because obviously I see my instructor do it and you know hearing that you know you being of the caliber that you are and I'm thinking like while you're talking I'm like dang I, I do the same thing so that actually makes me feel good yeah it you know Sometimes there are, I still get that every now and then because there are some people that I can see just enough. And if they're just close enough, I can see the blank stare still on their face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes a lot of detail, especially for newer people, can be a little overwhelming. Yeah. So when I, I try to get one on one with them as they're working the technique, and that's where maybe I, I pull back and say, focus on this part. And then once you have that, then we'll go into these other details. But because you're in a full class, you know, 15, 20, 25 people, you don't always get around everybody as much as you'd like within the time you're allotted. Right. And so you want to have details because I do, especially, you know, even in our fundamentals, we've got, you know, purple belts that regularly we're always pushing even the higher ranks to always come back to fundamentals class. Oh, yeah. You know, everything, everything comes from the basics. And they're the ones that are like, man, I love the detail because I was missing it. And it was that little detail that, that fixed what I was missing. Mm hmm. You know, so I, I have to adjust sometimes, but for the most part, I'd rather provide too much information than not enough. Exactly.
Uh, exactly. Because, um, you know, our system, we under, uh, you know, we under Master Joe Moera. Sure. And um, so we follow his system to the T down to like mm-hmm. our principles or rules or snakes or shrimps or, you know, whatever different schools call them. And one thing I always loved about listening to him teach and being able to like, I, had, I did a private with him too. And it just blew my mind. Cause I was like, okay, I want to talk about escapes from bottom. And he was like, okay. And then we started going over, um, was this our circle snake? Where, you know, you're on your side, you take your, you know, mm-hmm. your outside leg steps back and then you kind of bridge on your shoulder, thread the bottom leg through and then you come up. Yeah, you come up to your knees. And so we're mm-hmm. going over that and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I, I know this stuff. Like, I know this stuff. Like, I know how to do a circle snake from bottom, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, well, you know, he knows. So let's keep going. But him being able to break it down into like fine, fine detail where it opens up so much more of jujitsu just by a small shift. Like, cause you might not necessarily be able to hit the, hit the technique exactly the way you want to. But if you're like, if you're open-minded enough, you will move something and be like, Oh wait, snap though. This is here too. So, you know, that one move went from just me being, being able to escape to me turning into an attack to go you know flip from you know defense to offense and be able to finish you know finish the uh finish the fight yeah absolutely and and i've said for years even even when when i was like a white and blue belt i used to use the analogy with people of you know when you're when you're a white belt you're in like a little one square foot tile Mm -hmm. that's all you see and as you progress you're adding tiles and by the time you get up in the black belt you've got way more tiles that you're able to see and so part of that that becoming aware of those other things is part of the progression yeah because things start to open up that you didn't see and then when you have somebody like uh you know grandmaster morera who I, i'm familiar with because my professor marcelo cavallo was one of his long longest running students and came to the united states with him so there's some similarities that we get that they came from the morera systems that we get from from my my professor marcelo and He's always giving me little things that's like, okay, this is what you're going to do. Try this from here. You know, look, I'm doing this and I know this works, but then I get this guy who's really got a good base. This sweep isn't working. What, what can we do? To f-? And he gives me little details that make all the difference. And from those little details, I can open them up into other things. Um, and that's why I like, I like teaching conceptually a lot because the concepts can be applied more broadly mm-hmm. to so many different things. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love... Well, like me personally, when I teach, I don't like to like throw a lot of techniques out at people because, you know, we do have like, I think we got like five, five white belts now. And, you know, I definitely want them to be able to like learn and understand this stuff. So like, for example, if we're going over um, a triangle from uh, from bottom, I'll break it down step by step. Like, OK, you know, we're going to do the triangle. We're going to get to that point. But. This is how we're going to start. We're going to start with you know, your opponent and, you know, in guard. We're going to work on getting your foot in the hips first, getting your feet, getting comfortable with your, you know, your butt off the ground, your foot on your opponent, controlling the arms. We're going to start with that first. And then I'll break down. OK, we're going to take it a step further. Now we're going to add, you know, punching the arm through to shoot your hips up. And then I'll break down how to shoot your hips up. And then I'll, you know, finish the triangle. But, yeah, I've I've love teaching in detail like that because it makes it a lot easier to understand 
And then when you get those people that's like, oh man, I'm I'm not getting something right. You can know exactly where to fix it because like, okay, what part are you what part are you referring to? Because if I just show you a technique like do this, do this, do this, do this, and this, and you tell me I can't get it, and it's like, okay, what part are you talking about? Like, well, everything. Yeah. But if I to break them, it down, that's everything. Right, that's everything. Right? But if I break it down piece by piece, and it's like, okay, what part you having trouble on, then we can address it a lot quicker and a lot more thoroughly and you know, they can learn it properly. One of the things I like to do in, in those type of situations, because my eyesight isn't so good, is I'll have them do it to me. That too. That too. And, and then and then I go, okay, this is where your problem is, because I could already feel where they're having problems. Mm-hmm. And then we can address, because sometimes they can't even verbalize, because they're new. They can't verbalize where they're having problems. Right. And that allows me to feel it. Um, and also, you know, I like to touch everybody because then I can, like you said, it's easier for me to coach. I can't sit on the side and coach people as much because I don't see what they're doing so good. So I roll with them. I touch them. I feel them. And then sometimes I think it's good for them to feel what the finished technique is supposed to feel like. Yeah. Yeah. This way, you know, look, let me do it to you. You can feel it. Now you know the end game. Now you know what we're trying to get to. Your partner should be feeling what you just felt when you're done. Right. Yeah, I would I would jump down there if they're saying like uh oh man, I I I don't think I'm I don't think he got it. I'm like what do you mean? I don't think it's locked in right. All right, do it to me, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> like in the instant, like, okay, do it to me, let's see. Oh, I see what's wrong. Shift your weight this way. Oh, there you go. Now try that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would I would I gladly get down there and teach and be a uki and everything else I can, you know, during jujitsu class. Yeah, and it, it you know, it, as the, the coach, it helps you to learn and grow as a coach also. Yeah. Because you start looking, you know, you start noticing consistencies. And then it's funny because, you know, I, I sometimes joke that there's too much emphasis put on the, the different emphasis put on the different belt levels. But yet I'll see somebody go from white to blue belt. And a few months into blue belt, I start noticing little things that are getting better little things that weren't happening before they got the belt. I don't think it has anything to do with the belt. It's the amount of mad time they have, yeah. but you kind of, as an instructor, you kind of start to see where it's like, yeah, look, yep. That's exactly where they need to be. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly where it is. Maybe they weren't there at exactly the time they got their belt, but within a few weeks, sometimes a couple months, you're going, yep, there it is. It's right there. There it is. Yeah, And you can almost see and, and notice that growth. The more you get to see it, then you start seeing those commonalities. So you can say, look, this is the path. We all go through it. We're all experiencing it. You know, we all, we all have these same frustrations. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. And, and I think that's a, a big part of what I love about jujitsu so much is seeing that growth in other people. Not just, you know, not just myself, obviously I'm, I, you know, I'm growing too. But, you know, by the time I got to, I want to say, Purple Belt, um, you know, like I'd say like halfway through Purple Belt, we were getting like new students in. And one guy in particular, I talk about him a lot, this guy, uh, one of our Blue Belts now, um, his name is Ray. Smart kid. Um, he came in and he you now he just he took the ju- like jujitsu quick. Mm-hmm. But the fact that like when I was coming up, my uh training partner Brian, you know, he he showed me a lot of stuff that he loves to do, and so I was learning under him. So then when we got you know the guys like Ray, uh, Ray for example, we were both like me and Brian was like, okay, 
we both know this stuff very very well he's going to take to it very very well so we start teaching him everything that we knew just like our instructor did us so he's advancing so 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 fast mm-hmm. and it's, it's like i said it, you know it's such an awesome feeling like you know dang that you know just only imagine when we get people under him how fast they're going to grow because they got us him and then everybody else that's growing in the gym yeah what's what's amazing to me is when you see that with the the teenagers like 14 15 16 yeah i see that so much with them and and even at, with some of my i've got some kids like one one of them he's going in the marines this coming year he graduates and he's already going into the, the core and i was training with him when he was about 10 or 11 years old mm-hmm. and now He's as he he's been doing it as long as some of the black belts that we have, and rolling with them, he's not yet a black belt, still a purple belt, mostly because he spent a lot of time going to wrestle in high school and taking a little time off jujitsu. But rolling with him is like rolling with another black belt. Nice. These kids, you've got these kids that have been like my son. My son started when he was four, about five or six years old. He ended up taking like six years off, got him back into it when he was 12. Now he's 17 and he's like six feet tall and he's smashing people and he's passing <laughs> guards and he's doing this. And, and he's not a kid that wants, like he never really wanted to do it. He's not super passionate about it, but there he is with grown men. And then he jokes, dad, this is child abuse. You got me getting beat up by old men. I said, I don't know. It looked like you were the one doing the beating. Right. But you see this progression. And I think, man, I mean, I was 32 when I got started. Mm-hmm. imagine you know i was i was a gymnast when i was his age imagine the shape i was in when i was 17 what i could have done if i had jujitsu oh man <laughs> tell me about it oh i, I think about that a lot because my uh my daughter she started uh training and she you know she just turned seven um yeah so she's only been doing it for a couple months but just to think like oh man if i had the chance to mm-hmm. learn at that age now oh my goodness oh my goodness oh yeah I yeah and, and then it's funny because i i thought i was old when i started at 32 and like we got a guy that just started a few a couple weeks ago at abu Nai. he's 62 oh and you know i i talked to him a lot and i i try I'm trying to keep him motivated to keep coming back because the a guy his age, you know, he's, you can tell it, he's gotten bit. The bug is there. He's passionate about it. But I'm like, don't go too crazy with it because you got to listen to your body. Yeah. You know, your, your age is there. You don't want to push yourself to where you get it so injured that you can't come back to the mats for a while. And then, you know, once you're off the mats with an injury, sometimes they don't come back because, you know, they create new habits. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, you know, I, I joke with him. I'm like, look, man, part of old man jujitsu is, is knowing when to back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I was old at 32. He's starting at 62, man. His journey is going to be even crazier than mine. That's exciting. Because I think about it. I'm like, 32 really wasn't that. I see some 32 year olds starting and they're pretty good. 32 is not that old. Well, yeah, I'm 48 now you know right. so you know it's like it's like everything's perspective you know and it's it, i joke and my, my family laughs at me all the time i always apply jujitsu to life i'm like you know it's like life you don't you don't notice the things until you look back right and you got to get that little bit of experience get those years behind you before you look back and go wow i see that now Mm-hmm. And it's like that in jujitsu. You go up the ranks, and my my friend Professor Sadiq he jokes about it because he's like, when we were kids in the art, he means like white and blue belt. 
when we were growing up in the art. And he's right, because even if you start at 62, you're still growing up in the art. Yeah. You're like a, you're like a child. Everybody's, everybody can do to you whatever they want because you, you, you don't know yet. Mm-hmm. You're, you're trusting your training partners to take care of you like a baby. <laughs> until you can get up and crawl and walk, and then you're running, and now you're wrestling with everybody. Right. You know, and so I, you know, I look back at it, and I'm like, man, 32 wasn't that bad. These young guys, these young cats got to stop complaining. 30 years old, you're still good. You got lots of time. Yeah. I you haven't been beat up too bad yet. Yeah, I started in my 30s. Yeah. I mean, I'm only 34. So, I mean, oh, wait, am I 34 or 35? One or two. <laughs> I lost count. But, um, but yeah, I started in my 30s. And, yeah, I I, I wish I would have started sooner, uh, you know, obviously, because I'm like, man, I it's just I wish there's so much more I can do. But, yeah, I still have a lot of time, you know, Lord willing. I still yeah. have a lot of jujitsu to do. You know, and, and I like I even look back and I, I went through my 20s in the 90s. And in 93, I was 19 years old. A few months after their first UFC, I got a, a VHS tape at a friend's house that was like a third generation recording with tracking lines on top. You could barely even make out the fights. That's oh, wow. what we saw the first mm-hmm. UFC on. And we were sitting there doing bong hits and drinking, watching the fights. And I got super into it. I had already figured out. You know, these guys, you know, as a teenager, if I got into a fight, they have longer arms. They know how to work off a jab. I'm going to have to get in close and to safely get there, clinch with them, take them down, because that's probably where I've got my best shot. I had at least figured that much out. And I'm watching this. And then years later, I find out that a childhood friend of mine that I had a breakdance crew with in fifth grade is doing this street fighting martial art that he created and he used to say even when we were elementary school i'm gonna start my own martial art it was greg jackson from jackson's mma Mm -hmm. and so in the the late 90s 96 97 98 um 96 i was working on the road i was a a manufacturer's rep doing trade shows all over the country and i'd come into town maybe a week or two and if i you know in between going to the bar with my friends and just screwing around while i was home i'd go into his dojo his academy and and they were doing he called it jujitsu, but it was essentially nogi because it was a it, what he called gaidu jitsu, which meant way of the street. He called it street fighting, but it adapted very well for what eventually became MMA, um, because at the time it was no holds barred. Right. There were little to no rules, but the arm bars were still there. The guard play was there because he was borrowing from the Gracies. Uh, he was working and learning jujitsu from uh, the first black belt in New Mexico, um, and he was developing what now is known as Jackson's MMA and he's got multiple, you know, world champions under him now. But even back then I wasn't taking it serious. It was like, eh, you know, I can go in there and fight with these guys and we can brawl and we can do this. So at least I know I still got it, but I wasn't taking it serious till I got sick. And then I got sick and tired of just lifting weights. And, and I, now I have kids. And when I started jujitsu, my son wasn't even a year old yet. And I already had two older daughters. He had two older sisters. So I even get some of these young cats who are like, man, I, I just had a kid. How many kids you got? I got one, man. It's so tight. I get it. I did it when I already had three. If you really want it, you'll prioritize it. You'll make it happen. For me and my family, it became a family thing. All my kids trained. My wife had been in a car accident. Her whole right side was messed up. She couldn't train. But 
when I helped a friend co-promote a tournament in New Mexico, we started doing tournaments for about five or six years. She would help with the announcing. She would help with the the score uh, the score tables. She would help with the registration and the weigh-ins. It became every three months we're putting on a tournament. My daughter's helping with the scorekeeping. The youngest one's helping with the photographer. The photographer taking pictures at the award uh, the, the award stands. You know, my wife's helping with the registration. She's helping with weigh-ins. We're putting together brackets. I'm refereeing and and I'm competing and we're doing this. And the whole family's involved. The whole family's going to jujitsu two or three nights a week. My son's in the peewees my daughters are in the kids class i'm teaching the adults class it became a family thing and then the gym became family so you know it's like look i mean i it's hard i'm not gonna say it's not easy i was lucky my job was pretty flexible i could work from a laptop anywhere in town that i was but if, if you really want to do it you'll find a way to make it happen and look having a family is great because they're gonna learn it too yeah they get to get in there they get to get on the mats you know, my daughters, I, I, I know they, they know what to do if they need to. I still hang, you know, get on their butt about getting in and getting back to training. But now I've got two grandsons, four years old and six years old. And they come over and the first thing out of their mouths is, Papa, let's go to the dojo and go play jujitsu. And I bring them in here, and to them, it's just a game. They run around trying to pass my guard. They play crazy horse while I'm bucking all over the place. And then I put them on the grappling dummy, and they work a choke, or they work an arm bar. They, they play with the position. But to them, it's just a game right now. But now I've got, I've got a whole other generation, my grandchildren, now coming in, and that's the first thing they want to do when they get to the house. Let's go on the mats. Let's go in the dojo and go play, Grandpa. Let's go. And it's a wonderful thing. Now I have a whole other crop of kids to share it with. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I love it. The art has become a lifestyle for me. Um, it's become a savior for me. I mean, I, I even tell people when we're working break falls, uh, trust me, the break falls will probably save you before any of the self-defense even will. For me, when I was riding my Harley, I got swerved down to the shoulder, hit a rumble strip, and I knew the bike was going down. And if I hadn't been doing judo backfalls, learning to keep my chin down, learning how to fall flat, I came off that, that motorcycle and a judo backfall, and my neck, my head didn't bounce off the road because I had built up that strength in my neck to keep my chin tucked. Yeah. When I when I lost my eyesight, when my eyes were really bad, I would trip over almost anything. If there was a step and I didn't see it and nobody warned me, I'd walk right into it and fall forward. Well, good thing I knew how to do front falls because my arms protected me. Mm-hmm. Even those little things and break falls will probably save you before anything else will because you fall around in life, especially the older you get. Yeah. You know, so I, that's why I drive the fundamentals. And it's just for me, it's it's truly has become a lifestyle. It, it pervades everything that I do. It became who I am. You know, and when I when I couldn't work anymore, when I couldn't do these other things, I still always had jujitsu. Yeah, that never went away. And like I said, now I've got my grandsons and my son. They're all here. They're training. They're learning it. You know, my son jokes he's going to quit when he's 18. He also told me he was going to quit when he was 16, and he's still going. <laughs> so, you know, he, he may not quit when he's 18, but that's fine. It's great. You know, I hope he gets a passion for it the way that I did. You know, it's, it's, it's been great. I've, my grandson's other grandfather on their dad's side, he was a wrestling coach, a high school wrestling coach, and he's 71. And he comes to me, we were on a trip a few weeks ago, and he comes to me and says, hey, he goes, you know, I'm thinking of coming over and doing a little jujitsu with you. 
And I'm like, heck yeah, man, come over. You know, he, he has the wrestling knowledge, so I want to pick his brain. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like my other friend who's a black belt who knows him told me, he goes, if nothing else, he goes, it'll be good for his spirit. Definitely. Because he's going to get to move. He's going to get to do these things. And, you know, it doesn't matter the age. Even if you're old, even if you're, you're so old, you'll never get the black belt. It's good for your spirit. It's good for your soul. You get to engage with other people. You know, I joke with the 62-year-old the that just started training with us. You know, we were trying to do some, some roles and stuff, and he's struggling with it. And I said, don't get frustrated. It's okay to struggle. You haven't played like this in a long time. As kids, we used to play like this, rolling around on the floor, rolling around in the grass, rolling around and jumping around in the dirt. But as we grow up, we don't play like that. You get the chance to come in here on the mat and play like that and learn to play again. Just You got to get those feet under you again and get them back, get that roll back and keep going. Because I, I feel like that's what we do when we're on the mats. We're just playing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I play, I smile. I could be getting smashed by a 300-pound beast, and I'm smiling at him. Mm -hmm. I'm just happy to be there. Plus, I learned to be comfortable everywhere. I've been doing it long enough. You're not going to put me anywhere I haven't already been. So I'm sitting there smiling, just waiting for my chance to, to reverse it. But I'm smiling because I'm just happy to be there. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to, to be able to be on the mat. You know, I, I a few weeks ago, I rolled with a, a UFC fighter that trains at the MMA lab out here. And uh, he's like a two or three ranked welterweight, or uh, light heavyweight. And I rolled with him. And I was getting good positions. And he's, you know, just getting ready to start a camp. And uh, I rolled with him. And I, I, I was just excited to be on the mat with a, with a high-level MMA guy and still be able to hold my own. Yeah, we had on the key, and he wasn't going really hard. But, you know... I had him in some pretty bad predicaments. So my middle-aged butt really felt good to be able to roll with a 20-something high-level UFC fighter and still feel like I held my own. It made me it made me go home with my chest a little pumped. Yeah. You know, because us old guys, you know, we, you know, you start to feel like you lost it and sometimes you just got to feel like you still got it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it, it, it's been amazing. You know, I, I know people who have done other arts, you know, karate, different types. Uh, where I'm from in Albuquerque, Kaju Kempo and American Kempo were always really big. I just never, I never heard any of them talk about it the way jujitsu. Some, a lot of them that have gone on to jujitsu the way they talk about jujitsu. There's something about engaging with the other person, being in there tight with them, and and then having to fight your way out. You know, there's something about all that that just it it, it gives you an endorphin rush. And and it's a wonderful thing. And and like I said, I, I honestly can't imagine, you know, not having it, you know, after this amount of time. Yeah. And what's what's amazing about you know what you were saying about you know just you know feeling alive and you just feeling that connection. Um, like one of my good friends, you know, one of my I I I consider him my brother. Um, you know, he's you know he's doing he you know he's doing his own thing he's you know he gets in the train every now and then but like for a few months we haven't you know he's been so busy with work and mm -hmm. his you know his uh profession we haven't seen each other in a while we we'll, we talk but we haven't seen each other in a while and we had open mat one day and it was like it was obviously good to see him but we rode for like four minutes and I, I, I'm not gonna say I got emotional, but I just got so excited because 
you know, when you like you miss somebody so much, and then like, it, and on top of the fact that y'all do something y'all both love, which is jujitsu, man, it's, it's it was such a like amazing feeling. I'm like, oh man, I miss you, but I really miss this. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's it's something it, it's like a it's like a big violent hug. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have the same thing when I head back to Albuquerque. I got a, a couple guys that I came up with through blue, brown, purple, and brown belt with. And then I moved and they end up getting their black belt and I go back home and we get the chance to roll. And, you know, it's like Chris Howder said, it's not about who's best. It's about who's left. Who's left yeah. And I got these guys, man, they're still left. And I get to come into town and, and we roll together. And I mean, we were, we were rolling together 13 years ago. We start, you know, I was there when they were white belts 14 years ago too, when I started at that gym, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we've watched our kids grow up together. Yeah, when you say this is my jujitsu brother, this is my jujitsu brother. Our kids grew up together. You know, my daughters still talk to their daughters. Mm-hmm. They're all in high school and married and having kids now, but they still talk because they grew up like cousins. They were always there. We were at each other's birth kids' birthday parties and spending holidays and hanging out and we were at the gym and we may not see each other as often anymore, but it's like going home and seeing family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's 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 amazing. It's the same thing even when I go to Vegas. You know, I, I go to Vegas and my old instructors are there. There's less than a handful of people that were still training, were training when I started that are still doing it, but there's still a few. And I stay in touch with a couple of them. And, you know, when I get out there, I always try to come out and see them too. And, I mean, we're talking almost 17 years ago and we're still in touch. And maybe we get to, to see each other in person two or three times in that 17 years. But when we get together, it's like, we're going to slap hands and try to kill each other. Exactly. And that's how we say hello. And I love you. Exit. Yes, man. Yes. Cause we just like after, cause after me and him rolled, we just sat there. We just like, you know, breathing hard. We just like smiling at each other. It's like, damn, man, I missed you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Man, it's, I, I don't know any other, any other martial art that, makes make someone feel this great just to like okay i'm gonna try to kill you but at the same time i'm gonna show you how much i love you yeah yeah trust me i just choked you but it's only because i love you right <laughs> it's only you because know? i love you i choked you <laughs> you know it's it's wonderful you know and you know i got people like that like um my other friend, Professor Mario, he's he's one of our black belts with GFT Arizona, and you know we all got together because he had a couple a couple guys that are getting ready to go to Noki Worlds in December. So we all got together at Blue Star this past Saturday to kind of help him sharpen up their sword for for Worlds. And I hadn't trained with him in a little over a year. I, I try to get out to his place regularly, uh, the DMMA gym where he teaches. But this year I just haven't gotten out as much. And uh, you know, it was the first time in a while that we've gotten to roll and he got to roll my son and he looks at my son and he's like, damn, boy, you got big. And then they rolled like him going, man, you got strong, kid. And it's like, yeah, because he was he was 12 years old when you started training with him. He's 17 now and, you know, he's a big kid now and, and now he's giving you a hard time, <laughs> you know, but that's the beauty of it, man. Like you said, you get to watch the kids grow up. You get to it's literally family. Yeah, you know, you get you get to see these kids grow up. You see, you know, I I see kids that I was teaching the kids class back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. These kids are now in the military. They're graduating college. You know, they're 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 moving on with their adult lives. And and I remember when they were, you know, the snot nosed twelve year old that was being a smart aleck in class. <laughs> 
you know, that I had to make stand on the medicine ball because they wouldn't stop talking, you know, and, and, and now you see them grown and, 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 you know, they'll still say like, you know, man, I mean, I still think about things I learned when, you know, when I, when you were my coach and I still remember you coaching me at the tournaments and, and I still remember us rolling and you just, just molly whopping me all over the place. And now I can kick your butt. You know, but it, it's it's a wonderful thing though, and and again, it is it is like family. I, I my nephews and nieces, I I see them the same way as a lot of the kids and and a lot of my training partners' kids. You know, I I got to watch them grow up. I got to be a part of it. You know, and I'm I'm proud of each and every one of them. You know, jujitsu is amazing in that way, and and you know it's growing phenomenally. I mean, look at look at Abu Dhabi, man, fifteen thousand people in the stands in Las Vegas watching it, and it's just to see that. You know, versus watching, you know, videos in 05 of the first five Abu Dhabis when, you know, the only people there was the, the Grand Sheik watching it from binoculars. Right. You know, to see where it's where it's going to and, and where it's growing from. And, you know, it's it's awesome to see. And you see guys like Gordon Ryan making, you know, a living with it, making some real money with it. And it's like, man, Ooh, that opportunity man. wasn't there when I started. Right. You know, it's it's amazing to see. It is, man. Jiu-Jitsu is amazing. Now, um, yeah, it's, it's. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say it's. It's definitely. It's life-altering, and and it, it it like my friend said, it's it's good for the spirit. It's definitely good for the spirit. I I 100% agree with that. But um, yeah. If you got any um questions for me, or you know, if you want to shout out your schools that you train and teach at, you know, the floor is all yours. Yeah, well, uh, again, I'm, I'm here in Arizona, uh, co-director of GFT Arizona. Uh, we've got a great team here. Uh, we've got affiliates all over the valley. Our headquarters are in Surprise, just outside of Phoenix at Blue Star Grappling. Um, anybody that wants to, you know, in the area and wants to come through and train, they're welcome to come through there or even at Abunai, uh, which is in Avondale, also just right outside of Phoenix. Uh, you know, we've got a great crew. They're welcoming to everybody. Uh, you know, I'm always at one or the other. Uh, I'm always available also to train with at home. I've got 200 square feet of mat space at home where, you know, we, we get in and play at home too. So, uh, you know, anybody that's that's listening, if you come to the Phoenix area, hit me up. Uh, I'm all over social media. Like I said, I got a lot of time on my hands. Uh, I've got a Mendez Jiu-Jitsu page. Um, I'm also a uh, proponent of cannabis-infused Jiu-Jitsu, uh, the high rollers. So I've, I've got a Professor Buddy Stoner, the high roller page also um, that, I, that I do. And I'm um, I'm kind of in the works of doing a high roller theme type of uh, shootout event. Um, still, still putting some planning in place, but I'm hoping to get a tournament going where we can do a, a shootout um, like New Mexico versus Arizona, all five weight classes, you know, kind of wrestling tournament kind of style. But all that's still in the works, but uh, something that I'm hoping to get going. Uh, but anybody, you know, we're, we're real open to everybody. Uh, nobody tries to hurt anybody. We're just all out to have a good time. So anybody that's in the Phoenix area, feel free to come through and, and train with me or any one of my teammates here in town. That's awesome. And I would definitely... Um stay up to date with you on that and um once you get it rolling i would love to you know you come back on and talk about it and we can get it uh try to get it out there more yeah absolutely absolutely 
All right, and uh, that's the end of today's episode. I would love to thank my guest, Nestor, again for coming on the show. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed the tales and some of our experiences. Please go, to, please go and follow our Facebook and Instagram page to stay up to date on all future episodes. This has been Talk Your Jits Podcast. Keep rolling, keep grinding, and remember, long live jujitsu. Have a great day.